Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. As always, as you know, what I always start out with is this is my favorite time of the week because it really is. One of the things I get to do with you each and every week here live is to share with you the amazing guests that I have on my show. These people that have um, come into my life through various different means, through other guests on my show, through people I've met along the way, through books I've read, that have helped me shift my perspective, that give me answers to questions. And a lot of times, I wasn't even sure there was a question I needed to ask. But as soon as I met them, I knew that there was a question I needed an answer to and they were providing it. I love being able to do that with you each and every week live on uh, using my new platform Restream. Um, And for those of you who are on podcasts, thank you so much. And those in Sweden, uh, thank you so much. You've kept us on top of the charts for almost two months now. And I'm so grateful to that. And uh, a new ranking in Croatia and always in the US and in other countries around the world. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Let me know what you're thinking. Share with me some guests you might like to have if there's a guest that stood out for you. I love hearing from you. You are what drives me to do this each and every day. I'm here to support you by asking the questions that you may never get to ask in person of the amazing guests that I have on the show. And with this new platform, you can put a chat question in on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and I can see those. So if you do have a question of my guest and you're watching us live, please note that in the chat and let us know and I can ask the question live. If you're listening on podcasts, reach out on social media to my guest or I, and we can answer whatever questions you have. So let's dive right into it right now. I have an amazing guest on my show today. She just is launching today the book Future Widow, Losing My Husband, Saving My Family, and Finding My Voice. This is a book not just for somebody who's lost somebody. This is a book that I think everybody needs to read because you never know when something may happen in your life and you may experience a loss or somebody you love may experience a loss. So please welcome to the show, Jenny Lisk. Jenny, thank you. Hi, Laura. Thank you for having me this morning or this afternoon. No, it's morning your time. It's morning my time still. I, I Is it still morning your time too, right? Yes, I'm in Seattle. It's 8 a.m. Yeah, it's 8 a.m. So thank you for getting up so early. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I want to thank you for writing this book because I know it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. I'm still struggling to write the book that I've wanted to write since my mom died three years ago. So I get it. I know how hard it is. And this book is beautiful. It is truly beautiful. And you know, I read a lot of books. (laughs) I mean, Uh I average about two books a week. Wow. Um, Sometimes more if I want to throw a fiction book in there, Uh just to clear the brain from all of the the nonfiction books I read. But this, this book is a gift. It's truly a gift. Well, thank you. Um, 
When you were writing this book, oh, and by the way, congratulations, you are a number one new release today. You are a best-selling author. Last time I checked, it was number three, and I know it's going to number one. This book is one of those books that will change people's lives, okay? So I just want to get that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for saying that because, you know, as, as an author, it's like, I don't know, I hope it's going to be helpful, right? That's the idea. But you don't really know until you start hearing from people. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, I've been through a lot of loss in my life. I mean, my brother, my, my dad, my mom, just those are the immediate people, you know, other than grandparents and things like that. And, and have gone through a lot of sort of, I'll call it preemptive anticipatory grief, knowing that somebody I love is going to go soon kind of thing. But the way that you wrote this made it so approachable. And I know you've got, as we can see on the screen, you've got a podcast as well called the Widow Parent Podcast, mm. in addition to your book, Future Widow, that releases today. Um, what drove you to, and I, I know it's in the book, but I'd like my listeners to hear it from your mouth, okay, from your heart. What drove you to say, I need to write this? Because this is not a brain book. This is a book from your heart. Mm. The hardest and easiest to write. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point, be hardest and easiest, because in terms of like, it doesn't need research as certain types of nonfiction books that are very research heavy, right? So that part is that task is eliminated. But the um, yeah, writing, sharing your story. You know, I when I was going through the eight months when my husband was sick um, and he had brain cancer and ultimately died uh, actually five years ago this week. It'll be Friday. I'll be five years. Uh, he was sick for eight months and I had these two, well, we had these two small kids. They were nine and, and 11. And I felt really lost as a parent, like, how do I guide them through this? And I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't want anybody, if I could help it, to feel lost the way I did. And I felt like if I shared my story, maybe I could help somebody, you know? And that was one of my biggest questions throughout this. I went to my, I had this first draft and I went to my editor and I said, okay, it, it's ready for editing. But first, like, tell me, should I just throw this whole thing in the trash? Like, is this actually going to help anyone? Like, should we even take step two here, right? <laughs> and Because if you look at this and you tell me it's not going to help anyone, then maybe I'll just, you know, toss it out and say, move on. But And she's like, oh my gosh, no, this is definitely going to be helpful to people. And so it's a very long and rambling way of answering your, your question. But I just, I felt like, you know, I had written this Caring Bridge journal when he was sick and there was quite a bit of writing there already as a starting point. And I felt like there's got to be something here that would be helpful to others who haven't yet been through this journey, who may be supporting friends who are going through the journey, who may find themselves in this place, you know, now or later, um, that it seemed like it would be helpful to other people like myself if I could share my story. You mentioned the Caring Bridge Journal, and mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know what that is. So can we just throw that out yeah. there so people aren't like, what the heck is that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Caring Bridge is 
Well, it's a website. It's essentially a blog. It's a free service. And um, it's very popular when someone has some kind of crisis, maybe a medical crisis, um, a death, uh, you know, someone who has a, mm, well, in our case, a medical crisis that we wanted to share updates with the people, the family, the friends, people who are following us. And, you know, it's kind of funny because originally I thought, someone suggested, my sister actually said, you know, you should... You should create, maybe you should make a caring bridge. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'll just send some updates by text and I'll send a few emails and, you know, some people can pass the word around. It'll be fine. You know, and pretty quickly it became obvious that we had a lot of people who really cared about us and what was going on and, and wanted to know, um, excuse me, uh, and, you know, and be in the loop. And so it was on the day of his first surgery that we're all sitting around the waiting room at the hospital and my sister started the caring bridge site and then handed it over to me and I took over posting um, from there but it was a great way to share you know sometimes posting every single day sometimes it became less frequent depending on what was happening um, both you know it's interesting because it started out as kind of matter-of-fact updates you know he had surgery he's out of surgery maybe he's coming home this day things like that and later then became more me reflecting on things as we were living them. Um, but anyway, it's a it's an online blog, and I'd encourage anybody who is going through some kind of a, a crisis where you're needing to get updates out to your community um, to consider starting a Cambridge thing, because it is free and it's simple to set up and to uh, and to add posts and updates. There, There's so much more to that, though, you know, and it really struck me in in your book about that. And even when you were just talking now, I remember going through when my dad was in the hospital after he had broken his neck, he had Parkinson's and everybody wanted to know what was going on. And I'm trying to be present for my dad. And when my mom had open heart surgery and my now ex-husband and all these things, it's like everybody wants to know. And you were, and in my case, I didn't have anybody else that could take on that role. Mm. At, at one point when my ex-husband was having open heart surgery, my dear friend Susanna, she said, let me take on the role of keeping everybody updated. Mm. And it was such a relief for me to know that I didn't have to answer every single text, every single call that came in, come home and find 30 billion, what felt like 30 billion messages on my answering machine or an email, people wanting to know. And they have good hearts, they want to know. But when you're going through it, it takes every bit of effort to just focus on being the advocate for the person in the hospital trying to take care of yourself, in your case, taking care of your children as well, and in the middle of a home remodel that needed to, to happen at the same time. That is not an easy thing, but yet it saying to yourself, okay, there's got to be another way that I can keep people updated and keep myself sane. Mm. That was a huge step. Mm. In, in the process. Can you talk about that some more? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've been on the other end of several Karen Bridges, you know, other people have gone through things and um, I'll say people can do it different ways. Sometimes people will deputize a family member or a close friend to be the one right. to make the updates. Um, in my case, I, it was important to me 
to be the one making the updates. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to share directly with the people who were supporting us what was going on. Right. Um, And like I said, what was going on both on the, the factual event level and also on the, you know, letting people in a bit and sharing kind of what was going on with us behind the scenes or what I was reflecting on things. Um, No, I've lost sight of what your question was. I'm sorry. It's just this, what people don't realize is how much is involved with Mm -hmm. caregiving. Yeah. the immediate crisis with a long drawn out crisis and how sometimes you need to deputize somebody Hmm. and it doesn't mean that you don't want to keep them updated yourself. I I mean, I had people get mad at me because they didn't hear it from me directly. Hmm. You know, (laughs) I was like, well, I'm sorry, excuse me. I was in the hospital trying to keep my mother alive, not knowing if she's going to die. And you're pissed off because I didn't literally pick up the phone and call you. I had somebody call you who happened to be there the moment I was taking my mother to the hospital and said, we'll call everybody. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, so you, you get this, when you're going through something, you get people that don't seem to understand. Mm. But they're processing in their own way, right? Right, Jenny? Sure, they're sure. they're upset too, and they don't know how to express it. Sure. And in our case, I think, you know, I mean, this was a, a, a parent, you know, a dad in our school community, friend community, family community, you know, a 43 when he got sick, 44 when he died, year old person. And I think a lot of, we were shocked, but a lot of people were shocked. Um, and I think that... Um, you know, there's a little bit of processing of like, if this could happen to this family, maybe this could happen to anyone, right? So there's right. that element too. And, you know, I, it was important to me to share. Well, first of all, I had eight months to share, right? It wasn't like I was trying to compress all of this um, activity into, you know, a couple of days or a week of a crisis, right? I had eight months to to think about it. and I And I had time, you know, going, you know, sitting around the hospital waiting and things like that. But um, part of what I wanted to do was to get the elephant out of the room a little bit and to share with people. I mean, I didn't want people to just be like, all they knew was her husband has cancer or maybe mm-hmm. her husband has a you know terrible cancer that doesn't have any recovery. Um, and But then a big elephant, like, you know, can I, what do I say or should I say something or should I not? Or if I bump into her, what do I do? Or, you know, all these kind of things. And I felt like by sharing this is what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's some of my current thoughts that I could kind of get that elephant, so to speak, a little bit out of the room and try to, um, hmm, I don't know. It just, the communication, I didn't want to bump into people and have it be awkward for me either. Right. And and by communicating, it got some of that out of the way a little bit. Yeah. I think it lessens some of that. Somebody saying to you, so what are you and Dennis up to? Yeah. Well, there's that. Yeah. Oh, how are things? Uh, <laughs> and, and then it's just like, oh, wait, somebody doesn't know. And it right. hits you. And you have to right. decide in a dime. And you talked about this beautifully in your book, how you went through this mental acrobatic, shall we say, of how do I answer that? Well, yeah. So that I should say, even you know, despite sharing as much as I could, 
still that question, how are you? I mean, every time I got the question, it would just cause fits of uncertainty. And in my mind, I'd be like, okay, how do I answer this? First of all, who's asking? How much do they know? I, you know, even though I shared all these things, I didn't know how many people were reading every single word of Cambridge, how many people were maybe getting the highlights, how many people maybe just knew that my husband had cancer and there was a crisis going on, but they didn't know the details. So, you know, part of it is like, who's asking? What do they already know? What kind of, are they asking, how are you? Like, hey, how are you? Or are they asking, you know, really like, how are you? Like, I'm up on the latest and this and this and this, and now wanting to know some nuanced detail, right? And yeah, as I say in the book you referred to, usually I'd cycle through all these questions in my head in the span of about a half a second and end up saying, fine, right? <laughs> Which wasn't really true at all. But, you know, the answer is fine, right? Just leave me alone. I don't want to go into it. I'm fine. Right. Which, right. Which wasn't a good answer, you know, for me or for them. Uh, but it's, it's, it took me a really long time, even after he died, um, to be able, and you know, sometimes that question is just an offhanded, almost like a greeting, right? Hello, good morning. Good to see you today. How are you? And then it's not really a, how are you? It's just like a, a hello, basically. Right. right. And to be able to, you know, eventually I could receive that as sometimes just a hello question and be like, hey, good, how are you? Right. But there was a long period of time when no way. Uh, you, you talked about a different question that seemed to help more, which is how are you today? Mm. And I know that that, for me, my good friends would ask me that. Mm. And, you know, I didn't make that up. I should give credit to Sheryl Sandberg um, from Facebook. And the interesting thing is that her husband died just before my husband got sick. A few weeks, right? So I had seen in the news, oh, Sheryl Sandberg, her husband died. This is terrible. She has these kids. How sad, right? Right. But at that point, it was more of a news event of a prominent person, you know, and you, and you feel for them. But it, but it didn't have any personal tie, right? But right. just a few weeks later, now I'm like, okay, my husband's got brain cancer. We're having surgery. I've got two kids about the same age as her kids. And I better pay attention to her story because this is probably going to be me down the road. And she was sharing... Um, some really great posts at the time about that her experience. Beautiful. Yeah. And she she actually had a post about kicking the elephant out of the room. Um, and I think that some of that helped encourage me to be open about, you know, sharing things. Um, I figured, you know, if, if she could share with the whole entire world, I could share with my corner of the world. Uh, but one of her early posts, she, she talked about... Um, the question, how are you today, being really much more helpful. And I, when I read that, I said, yes, she's absolutely yeah. right. Because it feels like a more, how are you is such a global question. And like I said, there's so many ways you could take it and go with it and whatever. Um, you know, even like, how am I like right this second? Or how am I on an existential oh, yeah. level? Right? Yeah. But how are you today narrows it down. And it just becomes so much more feasible, I think, to answer. Well, I think it also gives permission for you to be okay or not okay in this moment. Mm. 
and in the next moment be the opposite. Right. I mean, it gives you permission to grieve in whatever way you need to. And it might not even be grieving. It could just be something happened with the kids. Something happened at work. Something happened for yourself. I mean, little things like you went to put pants on and you ripped them as you put them on. And then that did happen. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it just was like that straw that breaks the camel's back when you're going through long-term caregiving of any kind. It's something that could be completely unrelated that just throws you for a loop. Mm. Yeah. When you wrote this book, I get the feeling, and you talked about it throughout, throughout the book, but when you wrote it, I got the feeling that you were saying to the world to your readers, just really to the world, that, you know what, we're not talking about this enough. We're not talking about the caregivers enough. We're not talking about the loss. And there's not enough easy answers out there. I mean, with Google at your fingertips, I find that there's a couple of things about grief that are always out there, but not somebody willing to share the journey and and ask the questions, which is why I really want to do on this show, other than the fact that our mutual editor, Jocelyn Carbonara, our dear friend, like, you have to have her on the show. You must <laughs> read her book. Um, it really, you know, you talk about, it, you know, finding your voice. I feel like you get, that this book helps just help others find a voice, too. Like, you don't even know the questions to ask, Jenny. Hmm. And they're hard to find. Yeah. So what do you, I mean, I don't even know what the question is in that other than to me, having questions is something critical to who I am, right? But sometimes you don't have a question. You just need an answer, but you don't know what to ask. I feel like in here, there's a lot of answers to questions you didn't even know you should ask. Hmm. Does that make well, sense? Interesting. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's an interesting observation. It's great to hear, um, you know, what you as a person not connected to the story, reading this for the first time through this text, right? Like what your reactions are and, and how you interpret it. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned that grief, there's not enough discussion about it. And I agree with that. And the interesting thing is, you know, as we record this, we're in a global pandemic, obviously. Right. Grief is all of a sudden on a lot more people's minds. Yeah. You know, it's being talked about more. It's touching more people. I mean, it always touches a certain number of people every day, week, month, year, right? Because we all die at some point. And so everyone's going to encounter this. And it's just more now, you know? And so it, it is... <sighs> I think that, you know, the more dialogue we can have about it and not keep it hidden and untalked about and, you know, the more we can support each other um, and those of us who've been through this, you know, maybe the circumstances differ, right? My husband didn't die during a pandemic, so there are some differences, but there's so much similar as well, Um, you know, and if we can 
share our stories and learn from each other, then I think that's a good thing. There's a lot more to grief than just the person passing away, though. Hmm. I mean, that's how a lot of people think of grief is this person died. But you had, there was, your children had the grief of the loss of their dad doing stuff with them. Mm. You lost this partner who assisted you through all areas of your life. Your job shifted and changed as a result of, of everything. The, the way you were with your children changed. So there was a grief around that and a worry in your mind about, well, I need to be strong for them. I need to do for them. When you were going through it, did you think, and, and I know you have your caring in here, there's beautiful caring bridge, um, your actual posts or paraphrase posts that you wrote in here, in addition to further explanation. Can everybody tell that I really love this book and I think it's really, really important? <laughs> Thank it's you. Such, it, it's really a legacy book. So, Thank um, you brought my tissues just <laughs> <laughs> you know I didn't prepare I don't think I have tissues I got my I got my shirt I can <laughs> so when when you think about grief how do you think about grief hmm that's an interesting question you know you're absolutely right that there is it is multifaceted and some people call what you're referring to um, invisible losses. I mean, the the obvious thing that you can see is this person was here today and they're gone tomorrow or, or whatever. Um, but it is all of those invisible losses that maybe you don't think about. The, the loss of your imagined future is an interesting one, right? Like right. none of us know how exactly our futures are gonna turn out, but if you have a situation so far where you've been married to someone for 17 years and you have two kids and they're nine and they're 11 and you both have jobs and you have a busy life and you kind of have some broad ideas, maybe this will unfold and the kids will grow up and then maybe we'll, you know, someday retire. Maybe, maybe we'll live here, or here, maybe we'll travel here, or here. You know, you don't know the details, but you kind of your future in your mind has already unfolded and maybe some certain broad, you know, swaths of, of, of a path. And, and one of the things then when something like this, when that spouse dies, it's like that whole future that I imagined, which of course hasn't happened yet. So I didn't actually lose it, but in my mind, I was expecting it to unfold a certain way approximately. Right has gone. And so then you're grieving the loss of that imagined or expected future as well, which is a something that I, I'm sure I never would have known about or thought about until, you know, until I had gone through this, you think, like you said, someone dies and you lose that person. And, and right. that is um, one big part of it. And there are so many other parts as well. Yeah. I mean, I know for me, when I knew my mom was eventually going to die, I mean, and that it was going to come sooner rather than later, but it still hit me like a lead balloon. And in your book, you, you know, you talk about asking your husband to write letters. Mm -hmm. 
I remember doing that, right? But what if we all thought about that, that you could just die tomorrow? Mm. What would you want to say? Yeah. There are so many um, beautiful ideas in here that sadly you needed to learn almost too late Mm. for a lot of things. So what would you say to somebody today that really doesn't even know that tomorrow could be somebody they love's last day, right? What would be the things that you would say to them you wish that they would do? Mm. And I'm going to take a tissue now. You know, specifically just on the on the letters piece, as you're speaking, I'm realizing I should probably like reread my own book and, and learn that as a lesson myself. Like, why, why haven't I sat down since then and written letters to my kids? I probably should, right? Maybe I should write them a letter on their birthday and tuck it away somewhere or, or once a year or whatever, right? Like, and this is just like on the concrete level. Um, because I, as you were speaking, I was thinking... So yeah, I asked my husband to write some letters to to the kids and you know, wouldn't it be great if they had letters that he had already written in past years, you know, just before he right. was sick, right? Yeah. And then I'm thinking, well, they could have letters from me now and they don't. Like I should I should do that. I think I'm going to write that down after we get off this call. <laughs> and uh and do that. Uh, but as far as, you know, and one of one of the things that I think I learned from this, you're, you're talking about people who, you know, maybe aren't thinking about the fact that we, you know, it's the proverbial run over by a bus, right? We could all die tomorrow. We Probably we won't, right? But we, theoretically, we could. And we don't know when that's going to be. One of my big conclusions was that Dennis got kind of half of a life, right? I mean, 44 so just you know rough figures half a life if I live the rest of my life kind of halfway like I think that's kind of gonna add to the tragedy right like like I mean I feel it's 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 increasing my motivation to make the most of whatever time I I have because I don't know how much time I'll have and you know it's already a tragedy that he died, right? And so if I just kind of go through the motions and live out the next half of my life, I think that'll be, well, I won't be satisfied with that, you know? And I think I think that's one of the things that I've learned from this is, yeah, our time is limited. So let's let's make the most of it while we can. And that's when you decided to start your Widowed Parent podcast. Hmm. And the write the future widow book because you needed to make sure. I mean, we're both geeks, right? We, we both come from the tech world and we also, by the way, have a similarity in Yonkers, New York. I grew up in the Bronx in Yonkers, New York. Ah, uh When I read through the book, I'm like, Oh my gosh, how come (laughs) we've never, you know, there were so many instances of where we kind of crossed paths Mm. in places and in um, careers and and different things like that. You made these choices because of what happened to Dennis. If 
Yeah, I hate the what if game, but I'm going to play it here, okay? Because <laughs> okay. I, I think it's a a helpful lesson, and I'm sure my um, listeners are probably thinking some of this. You were on a certain path. Mm. Dennis's passing passing didn't just bring you to a crossroads. It it, it brought you to like a wall of evaluating, reevaluating everything in your life. Was there one moment, one question, and I know this question's in the book, and I think it's an absolutely beautiful question as I'm rubbing your book. (laughs) Uh, Was there something that you, somebody asked you or you asked yourself that made you think, yeah, this is what I need to be doing with my life next? Because of something. I'm trying to guess which question you're asking about. Well, I can tell the question, right? If my life is the same five Uh, years from now as it is today, would I be okay with that? But I I feel like there's more to it than that. Well, but I think, okay, yeah. And I thought that might be, it might've been the one you were thinking of. Um, And the, the rest of the, of the thought is, okay, if my life is the same five years from now as it is today, would I be okay with that? And if the answer is no, or especially if the answer is hell no, then then now is the time to start doing something about that. And it's, to me, it's a way of thinking even about like taking action or starting to take that first step, because it's easy to get, for me at least, to get paralyzed, right? Like, um, well, maybe I should, you know, change something or whatever. But it's, you know, it's it, inertia sets in, right? It's easy to, right. well, maybe I'll change something tomorrow or next year or whatever. Or maybe I'll take a step, you know. And, and But to me, clarifying that question, like to say, okay, imagine my life in five years. Am I going to be satisfied? Am I going to be happy with where I am, with my life, with whatever's happening if it's the same as right now for that's the first part of the clarifying question. Right. And because it's easier to think, you know, future me, future me five years from now, me, like it's easy to think, Oh, well, maybe I'm not satisfied with X or Y or Z right now, but, but you know, in the future, everything will be fine. Well, well, how are we going to get to that point where there's some unknown future point where things are fine, whatever fine means, right. Whatever it means to you. Um, if I don't take any action, it's not like something's magically going to happen to just make everything somehow better in X amount of time. And so thinking about, um, you know, it's not unreasonable to think if I want something to be different in five years, if I start doing something now, that I could work towards that, right? And and then if I don't start doing something now, then probably things won't be magically different in five years or however many years you're on you're in your time horizon. Um, and so to me, that really clarified the thinking of like, yeah, I, I I want things to be different in five years, so I'm going to do something now. And then it then the question is narrowed down to, okay, well, what am I going to do? What's that first thing and the second thing and the third thing? As opposed to this more global, you know, question that's harder to maybe get your hands around. I think it's a question as to whether you have loss or not. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, it's okay. Um, I mean, I'll give you a really weird example, Jenny, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
a week before my, I don't know if it was my 25th or 30th high school reunion, I got braces. <laughs> uh, uh. Right? Because I'd been complaining about how my teeth were shifting. I was having physical repercussions. And I had had braces when I was a little kid. And my mother was still alive at that point. And she said, are you sure you want to do this right before your birthday and right before this reunion where you are going to be speaking? And uh, you haven't seen your high school friends in forever. Yeah. And I, I, I was just like, you know what? I don't want to be complaining about this two mm. years from now. Mm. So I'm just going to do it now because something's going to come up where I'm going to have to be on a stage somewhere. This is obviously pre-COVID, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we were all doing these kind of things. And I bit the bullet and I did it and it made a massive difference for me. Hmm. In terms of it changed some physical stuff that was going on. And, um, and you know, I was just like, hey, I got braces. Who the hell cares? <laughs> Uh it it, it wasn't like it was when I was a little kid and everybody talked about the headgear and and all of that stuff. So these kind of questions are so important, but while you're going through a crisis, it seems very hard to, from experience, make decisions and to make changes. I mean, you were able to go through a nest and rearrange your house well, you had to deal with the whole fact that your kitchen was completely torn apart and you mm-hmm. had amazing people to help you with it. But I, you seem to be able to work through the grief in a way that took you to an amazing place. I know there are listeners out there, Jenny, that have had losses that can't get there. What do you say to them? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I guess my thought, I mean, it might maybe depend on where they are in the grief process, right? And at some points, you know, somebody who's early on in grief, um, they're probably not going to be thinking about creating new futures. They're thinking about getting through day to day or hour to hour. Um, But I guess at some point to think about the fact that, you know, I thought about the fact that I had to create what my next steps would look like, right? My future, Mm -hmm. like that as much as I you know, would want to go back and take a magic wand and erase what happened and change the outcome and all these things. The fact is, once he died, there was no undoing the fact that he died, right? Much as you could could want it to be different and everything else, no matter what you do, you can't undo that. So what is the next half of my life going to look like? And I think taking that shift to like recognize that I had to choose and I got to choose, right? What the next part of my life would look like. And that if I didn't choose, 
I would just muddle along for the next few decades, hopefully a bunch of decades. Right. Um, muddle along and then someday my own life will be over. And and realizing that I didn't want to muddle along for 50 more years, but that I wanted to create for myself what my life would look like. And so I guess in terms of, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a fine line because you can't talk to someone whose spouse or whose somebody has just died and be like, okay, now create your future. Right. It's like, it's a, it's a process. You have to, you have to get there. Um, But sometimes I think about um, Viktor Frankl and his uh, man's search for meaning. And he talks about how, you know, he, and for, people who haven't read his book, he was in a concentration camp um, in World War II. And he talked about how he couldn't choose his circumstances at all. Of course, he was completely, you know, captive of everything. But he could choose how he responded. Right. He still, that was the essential freedom that he maintained. He couldn't, he didn't have any freedom over himself and the fact that he was in the camp and the fact that he was on the receiving ends of all kinds of torture and all kinds of, you know, terrible circumstances. Right. Couldn't choose any of those circumstances or change any of them, but he retained the right, you know, the, the essential, the freedom to choose how he would respond to those circumstances. And so that's, sometimes I think about that here, right? I can't change the fact that he died. I can't change the fact that my kids lost their dad. There's so many things I can't change. What I can affect is how I respond now. And I think that's a point that's, you know, it's been helpful to me to get to that point to then think about um, how do I move forward. That's a beautiful way of putting it, Jenny. I mean, the whole idea of how am I going to respond what popped into my head was this additional thought, which I think you said without really saying, which is responding today, sort of going back to the how am I today? Mm. Well, today I can respond this way and I can see this possible future. Um, an hour from now or tomorrow, maybe I just need to be quiet. Mm. And, and not push through or, or not do something. Um, sure. But tomorrow I'm going to pick right back up, you know, or in the next hour. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I kind of heard that throughout our conversation today and throughout your book. Hmm. You know, it's got a lot of dog ears to it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and not only dog ears for prepping for the show, but also dog ears because there are so many moments in the book that are just gems and and treasures. So is that really kind of what goes on for you that you, you say to your listeners of the Widowed Parent podcast and the readers of the book that, you know, it's, you're constantly choosing how you're responding Mm. or or is it a one-time thing? Oh, no, no. I mean, I think this depends like what level you're talking about, right? Like, like maybe on the, 
the bigger directional questions. Like I'm going to start a podcast and I'm, you know, I'm going to write this book. I mean, you kind of choose those. Well, I want, I was going to say, you don't exactly choose them once. I mean, you initially choose them once, right? But then you have to kind of continue committing to be on that path, right? But then um, day in and day out, there's all kinds of, it's not like it's a linear path, right? And, And you also... I mean, so not only are you choosing the smaller, the next steps to get to that goal, right? But also there can be setbacks, there can be directional changes. Um, You know, there were even times when I was writing the book, even though, okay, I decided I'm going to write the book. I can't tell you how many times I was like, maybe I should just throw the whole thing out and I don't know, do something else, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I think I mentioned in the beginning that one of the first times is when I went to my editor and said, you know, should we even go to the next step and do the editing here? Right. Right. Um, but other times, too, even more recently, even. Oh, my gosh. Last week, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Right. <laughs> and now you're a number one best-selling author. I know, right? And it's in people's lives because they're reading your book. Uh, well, at some point in the last few days, it became, well, even if I wanted to back out now, it's too late, right? <laughs> because it balls are in motion on Amazon and the printers and everything. But even, you know, last fall, I, I, I went through a phase where I was like, seriously, maybe I should pull the plug on the whole thing. And I had done all the writing, all the rewriting, all the editing um, had, you know, engaged some people to to do some early reading and stuff. And I, well, I got to tell you, I had to, I had to binge listen to Brene Brown to get comfortable with vulnerability. Like I, I realized, I'm like, oh my God, memoir. I think I hate memoir. It feels so exposed. Right. right? You might think as somebody who's writing a memoir that maybe I would have thought of this a while ago. I didn't when I wrote mine. <laughs> I mean, it was there, but it, it's not there. Yeah. Well, know? right. And I, even though I, of course, knew that a memoir is sharing my story, and of course, I'd been writing my story and sharing it and so forth, there's still something about getting closer to it being real that kind of brings it into focus. Is like, whoa, right? Like, now this is really real, and do I really, you know? And so I decided that, well, I had two solutions. One was to, I like, seriously, I, I'm not joking when I say I binge listen to Brene Brown. I went on um, Audible and I downloaded, I think it was Daring Greatly. Oh, that's a beautiful that, book. That one. Yeah. And I listened and I don't know how many hours that was. And I just listened to the whole thing like in the, like a day. Like I just <laughs> seriously, like, cause I was like, I really had to get comfortable with this. And then I, and I also listened to a few of her other talks, Ted talks and, you know, other speeches and stuff. And then I also, I have a writing accountability partner that we've been meeting every week and um, which has been terrific and in so many respects. And in this case, I had this, you know, my weekly meeting with her and I was like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? And she was like, okay, seriously, (laughs) you know? And she's like, okay, this book is going to help so many people. Right. And so she kind of helped talk me down. In fact, I think I put in the uh, acknowledgements thanking her for talking me down more than once when I was like, maybe I should throw the whole thing in the trash. And, you, you did know. mention her. I read, <laughs> when I read the book, I read everything. I love reading yeah. acknowledgements. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 So 
I don't know what question you asked that got me started on that, but um, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. You know, this whole idea of some people go, well, you made a choice and you just, that's it. You made it once and you're good to go. But mm. it's not really it. Mm. You eloquently put it, it's a constant choosing of it. And some mm. days it's a little harder to mm. choose to move forward, um, to clean up somebody's bed if you're a caregiver. Because, you know, you just can't afford help or you can't get help um, right now from somebody. And you're having to do it all your own and it feels overwhelming. And in that moment, you're, you may be like, I, I can't do this anymore. But it is about choosing and choosing again and choosing again. And maybe the fifth time you choose, it looks slightly different. You know, maybe it's you do go to the diapers instead of not having somebody wear diapers. You know, I use it as an extreme example, but it is something that somebody I know recently lost a parent and the the father did not want to have diapers on his wife. Mm. And he wouldn't allow caregivers to come in. He wanted the kids to do it all. Mm. And it's traumatized them to see their mother this way. And I, and, but yet for other people, that is something they couldn't imagine not doing. So I think it's like choices that you have to make that's right for you. You can't go with what might be right for somebody else. Right. Right. So when you were going through this eight months of losing your husband piece by piece, losing this future that you saw, watching your children lose what they were losing. Did you think about the choices you were making in terms of what other people were saying to you? Because I know you got a lot of advice. I know you had to have gotten a lot of advice from a lot of other people. What did you ask yourself, what were you thinking about to help you find that what was right for you and your family? Hmm. If it went against what doctors or other people were saying. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And it's a hard one because, you know, I mean, when you've got this period of time and you're, I mean, I had never encountered a medical crisis like this and it's a whole new area of things to learn and um you know some of it is you don't know what you don't know um you know I tried to find some advice where I could and then see how what's the word I'm looking for see how that felt I guess see what worked for me and what you know I had a few friends who um had some experience with some of this. And so I would you know, try to ask them stuff and then think about how what they said, you know, did or didn't apply to my situations. Um, it's, you know, and some of it is when you're going through and we, especially in the early days, weeks, months, we had so much, I called it in the book activity, activity being like crisis activity, where sometimes you don't, like, you're just kind of trying to go, like, what's the next thing that has to happen? What's the next thing that has to happen, right? Like, and now you're going yeah. to the ER, and now you have another surgery, and now you have this problem, and now you got to call this other specialist, and now you have to do this other thing. And so in some of that, it's, 
some of the decision making maybe becomes a little, I don't know, easier is not the word, but it simplifies the decision making sometimes if you're thinking about like the next step and you're narrowing your 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 sphere of possibilities to like what's happening next as opposed to thinking about a more global um, question. But, you know, one of the, in some respects, and particularly as it comes to thinking about like children's grief and, and how does all that part play out, I could almost argue that I didn't have enough advice. Like mm-hmm. um, at one point later in the eight months, we did engage someone from Safe Crossings, which is the, a group here affiliated with our hospice, but they don't just work with hospice families. They work with all kids in King County who um, have lost a parent or a sibling and they will start, if in case of a terminal illness, they will start before the person actually dies. Okay. Um, and so that was helpful. Um, but I wish I had known about that and started with them sooner. And this is part of what brings me back to, you know, the book and reflecting on what I wish I had known or done differently. If I had maybe had more advice from a children's grief expert or something, I would have maybe had more to consider and feel more informed as I was thinking about some of the parenting stuff um, throughout. So, yeah, that was a long and rambling way of maybe partially answering what you asked. It wasn't long and rambling. And it's it's like I had said earlier in the show, the book gives answers to questions you didn't even know you needed to be thinking about mm-hmm. way before you needed possibly need to be thinking about it. Like you said, you didn't know that there were resources out there to perhaps help your children through what they would be going through as they lose a parent, as they watch a parent pass. Um, I wish I had known while I was taking care of my mom for six years and I was working with a therapist, but it's different. You know, I would have had different conversations with them Mm -hmm. about stuff that was going on. So it's, a beautiful thing to say, here's what I learned. I pray it helps you. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things about memoir, right? Is you can read this person's story and this person's story and this person's story, and then you can pick and choose like which parts are relevant to you, which parts speak to you, which parts don't. Um, And that's one of the things I do with the with the podcast, um, some of the discussions are other widowed parents sharing their stories. And um, I think it's helpful because no two situations are exactly alike, but as listeners hear um, many different people's stories and circumstances and why they did or didn't approach things this or that way, I think they can use that, first of all, to not feel so alone. And secondly, to take the lessons that that they want to or they can or that are applicable out of other people's stories and apply it to whatever it is they're dealing with. And I think that's, you know, so that's that's part of the podcast. But then in the case of the book, right, I mean, here's my memoir and here's, um, you know, any particular person who reads it might take certain things out of it. And then mm-hmm. they might read other memoirs and take certain other things out of those and maybe make a composite um, uh, in a kind of a composite fashion. It might help them increase their 
understanding or their thought process about next steps or whatever it may be. Um, and so I guess that's, I think that's the, maybe one of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, benefits isn't the right word, but benefits of memoir as a genre um, of what, you know, what the readers can, can take out of the experience. And that's one of the benefits to podcasting and what we're doing here. Mm. I've we've had a chance to look at some of the comments, but mm-hmm. um, everyone should listen to this on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Neil wrote, um, Joe wrote, this conversation alone has allowed me to give myself permission to make some difficult decisions. Mm. I mean, it, thank you for agreeing to come on the show and and share your story and help others through your story and the work that you're doing. I read this book in one sitting uh. while I was waiting for my car to be repaired. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I'm sitting there and the tears are coming because it put me in a space of healing. Mm. And processing some of the stuff that still had not been processed from a lot of grief over a long, long time. I've not lost a husband. I don't have children. But the messages, the story really applies. The questions, the answers, these are all things we will all at some point on some level or some version deal with loss. Mm. deal with grief of some kind. And um, this is a beautiful tribute to you, to your husband, Dennis, and to your your children and your family. So um, thank you. As we are getting ready to close the show, where, number one, where can people get the book, find out about your, your podcast, The Widowed Parent and, and reach out to you? Yeah. Well, um, the book is available for sale everywhere. Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, a bunch of digital platforms. I've got all the links on uh, page futurewidowbook.com. Um, so wherever somebody prefers to buy books, they can find all the links there, as well as a description um, and some information and a link back to my website. So it's futurewidowbook.com. And I should say, I haven't even announced this yet. I'm going to put it on social media later today. But um, because... This book is so much about giving back. I wanted to do something for launch week to give back. And I'm doing a BOGO offer, which in this case is buy one, give one. And so I set up a thing. Anybody who buys the book anywhere, paperback, ebook, Amazon, anywhere else, um, can go to jennylisk.com slash BOGO, J-E-N-N-Y-L-I-S-K.com slash B-O-G-O. Um, and I just got a real short form there and people can um, fill it out and send in, you know, my, their Amazon receipt or their whatever. Um, and I'll send a link for a free ebook download because um, I really want, you know, that they can give to a friend. And the idea is to try to get the book into as many people's hands as possible and so they can think about, hey, I read it and I really think my friend so-and-so would like this and give them a free um, copy as a thank you for buying it during lunch week. So again, it's jennylisk.com slash bogo. Um, and the podcast is at widowedparentpodcast.com. That's great. And you said this is during launch week, the offer. So um, normally I don't say the dates and stuff. So it's the week of uh, January 5th, 2021. Right. <laughs> through Sunday. So through the 10th. 
through the 10th. Okay. So if you're listening to this live or you're listening to this on the podcast and you, this is a great time to buy the book and to give one to somebody else who could really be helped by it. So it's um, futurewidowbook.com will list all the different places you can buy the book. And then when you, after you've bought it, go to jennylisk.com slash BOGO to fill out the form to send the ebook to somebody else. And I'll have those posted as well all around my social media and on the uh, blog post as, as well when I, I write this up. So last thought you want to leave my listeners with, Jenny? Uh, oh, that's a good, you know, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, and I hope that people will, will read the book and will take something away from it. And thank you for saying that you find it interesting as someone who is a different situation from mine, not being a widowed parent. Um, I do think that it is broader than that audience. And it's, it's good to hear, um, you know, from you that, that seems to be the case. So <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, I hope that if you know somebody who is a widowed parent that uh, you'll send them to the podcast. I don't mean you, I mean, people who are listening, uh, and there's some resources there too, like how to write a condolence card that people might, anybody might find useful. So just thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it was, it was a joy to have you, Jenny. And I only needed to use the tissues once, but there were a couple of <laughs> times go. I thought I was going to need them even more. So, but that that's the beauty of it, right? I mean, not even just this show. I've cried on other shows. <laughs> other episodes that have nothing to do with topics like your book discusses. It's being vulnerable. It's being honest. And I want to thank you for your, your vulnerability for, you know, the love you have for your family and yourself that enabled you to write this book. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Now, everybody, This book is available wherever books are sold, Future Widow. I highly encourage you to get it, no matter what your situation. Give it to somebody you know, somebody that you love. It doesn't matter if you're married, have children or not. I think this book is a useful book for life for everybody because it answers questions, as I said, that you probably didn't even know you had the question for. So I want to thank you all for being here today. Thank you for everybody that was commenting on social media, Jenny Lisk, for being on the show today. And remember, everybody, at the end of the day, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.